Hello and welcome to the Press Room Podcast with me, Sam Duffet. And it's me, Sam Fielding. The Press Room Podcast is a podcast series bringing you an exclusive insight into the sporting industry by speaking to managers, coaches, players and members of the media to discuss their journey in sport. Yes, on today's podcast, we're speaking to a man who's called some of the biggest darts moments in recent history. Treble 17! Double 18! Yes! Simply sensational! Darts Holy Grail! From darts, horses, young property! A hug from Barney! A nine-darter! Yes, it's legendary sports broadcaster Stuart Pike. With over 30 years' experience in sports broadcasting, Stuart is one of the top names in football, rugby league and, of course, darts, working with Sky Sports, BBC and ITV, amongst others. We'll chat to him about travelling around the world, commentating on sport, his love for the alley palette and, of course, all your questions as well, too. So please welcome to the Press Room Podcast, Stuart Pike. Okay, well, uh, welcome, Stuart, to the uh, Press Room Podcast. Great to have you with us. Um, first of all, how are you getting on? How's life in lockdown for you? It's not too bad, uh, to be honest with you, Sam. We had a, we had a, obviously the first lockdown in March. There was there was nothing for four months, um, you know. But I have to say, Sky were very good. Uh, they looked after people and made sure that you know that they looked after their staff and their freelance staff. But uh, since we got back going in in July. Um, very, very busy with, with darts and with Super League for, for Sky and, of course, the darts for ITV as well. The World Championship was non-stop over, over Christmas. So, yeah, uh, had a couple of weeks off uh, and back into it with the, with the Masters uh, on ITV coming up. I know we'll get into it a bit later on about the, um, the, the big uh, project you've been on, we call it a project you've been on with over lockdown, the man with the mic stuff. Uh, but I imagine at the moment as well, that's keeping you quite busy with what, uh, what's going on as well, being indoors. Yeah, I mean, life on the pastures has become very, very famous, hasn't it? I mean, unbelievable the way it's taken off. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But one of my friends is really into views and stats and YouTube and all the rest of it. But apparently, since we started, Man with the Mics had over half a million views uh, all around the world. But it, it's literally just a, a, a bit of fun. It started as a bit of fun. Um, you know, people may or may not know the story. My, my neighbour across the road, Zoe. Uh, you know, we just got chatting soon after lockdown had started, and she said, "Obviously, there's nothing for you." I said, "Well, no. I mean, I'm I'm stuck at home until until sport starts." And so, why don't you do it from home? Why don't you Why don't you do it from your your, your bedroom window? And that's how it was born. Um, and it's just amazing how it, it's taken off. But it makes people laugh. You know, I can see it puts a smile on your face, and you know, I, I guess that's all that matters. Stuart, I guess obviously we were talking a little bit about lockdown there, and and. For us, it's good that sports continue to to be on the television and and something we can watch during the weekends. Because God knows what I'd be doing if that wasn't the case. But how have you found adapting life to to watching sports on the TV during this pandemic? It's been difficult, hasn't it? I think it's very difficult for everybody. Um, we uh, everything we've we've had is behind closed doors, apart from one solitary day at the World Championship at the Alexandra Palace. We had one night. Uh, 500 people watching the darts, and after that, it was shut down. You know, they'd sold, they'd sold out. You know, a thousand people per session. You know, people people were desperate to watch live sport, but you know, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, I think it's very difficult. I, I, I'm sure everybody who's been watching the football on the telly, you know, you, you're either in in with sound effects camp or, or or without sound effects. But you get to the stage where there's only so much that you can watch. I feel. 
uh, when it's not your team. I mean, you know, my team's Everton, so I watch every Everton game. Um, but the as far as uh, as far as all the you know the other games are concerned, unless it's a big game, it's, I just think it gets very difficult for people. But for some reason, uh, I mean, the rugby league worked um, over a short time, but the darts has really worked. The, the actual quality of the tournaments compared to the tournaments, the same tournaments. Uh, in 2019, when there were crowds, the quality has actually been better. Um, you know, all the stats bear that out. So, you know, I think the PDC, as far as the darts are concerned, on both Sky and ITV, have gone to a, a heck of an effort. All the staging crew and you know the behind the scenes, the players, the broadcasters, just to make sure uh, that it's happened. And you know, the, the reward has been record viewing figures uh, since last July until well, until the World Championship, where the, the figures were through the roof. Do you think the pressure of fans or supporters being in inside a venue for the darts is, I guess, well, there's no pressure on them now. Do you think that's helped certain players going forward? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think it has. I mean, Gerwin Price, who, who won the World Championship, admitted, you know, uh, but he, I think it was a double-edged sword for him because he actually likes the banter with the crowd, um, you know, and, and the, the pantomime villain character that he's become. Uh, but I feel now that, you know, he's moved on from that. I mean, the infamous meltdown and uh, fall out on stage with Gary Anderson at the Grand Slam in Wolverhampton <laughs> in 2018, where you felt they almost came to blows, you know, and he became the boo boy after that because Gary Anderson is one of the most popular players in the world. But, you know, from what he's achieved, uh, puts everything into perspective. I mean, it, it's quite incredible. I think I was commentating on his, his semi final with Stephen Bunting. Uh, Stephen Bunting won Lakeside won the Lakeside World Championship in January 2014. Five days later, uh, an unknown Welshman called Gerwin Price went to Q School to give it a go. And seven years later, he's world number one and champion of the world. So, you know, but I think it benefited him to a certain extent. But I think, I think we all miss the atmosphere and the crowd and, you know, in, in whatever guise it comes, um, you know, and hopefully, hopefully this, you know, this spring uh, that, that, you know, things will change everywhere for everyone and, and and we'll get some crowds back i guess now in your career Stuart, you've pretty much seen everything uh, which uh, including this pandemic that must top it all off for you um if, if we can to rewind the clock and go right back to the beginning um and, and i know this is quite a broad question but what what really made you want to get into working in media and 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 more specifically now as you move through your career broadcast media was there any sort of um kind of start point in your your younger life where you thought that this is what I want to do going forward? Absolutely. I mean, from the age of 10, 11 and 12, when I guess most young lads want to be a fireman or a cowboy or an astronaut or a footballer, uh, I was hooked. You know, and I, listened, I used to listen to all the commentaries uh, on the BBC, all the sport back then. Uh, it was on BBC Radio 2, you know, the likes of Peter Jones, who's a, who's a commentary legend. You know, and if there was if there was football or, or anything on the radio, I would listen. Then you start mimicking, you know, and you start thinking, you know, that I'd love to do that. Me and my brother used to play long, long games of cricket on the back garden, you know, and I was always commentating on every ball then. But I think it was just in in my blood from when I was 12 years of age. What I want, what I wanted to do is what I'm doing now. Uh, my father um, had a had a law firm locally. Uh, very good reputation, and I think he was hoping that I'd, I'd follow in his footsteps. And as soon as he realised that that wasn't going to be the case, he retired and sold the firm. But it was it was it was from twelve years of age. I went to school. Um, I got uh, I got 
uh, my A-levels and then went straight into newspapers. Back then, you know, you didn't have to go necessarily to college um, or, or to university. The training was done, um, you know, in-house. So from school, I went straight into local newspapers in 1979. You know, it's a long, long time ago. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed sort of 40 years as a career. You know, I'm 60 later this year. Um, what you should be saying there, Sam, is you don't look at Stu, but I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll, I don't want to I don't want to interrupt you, Stu. You're on such a good floor, then you're in such a good floor. Come on, uh, but no, so I went, I, I, I actually my first job was working on the Birkenhead News, which is like the old days of local newspapers when it was proper, proper local journalism when they were paid for. It was a bi weekly, came out every Wednesday and every Friday. Um, you know, and I went there as an 18 year old and, you know, it shaped what I am and who I am now. I mean, it's the most fantastic grounding. Uh, we went off to uh, Sheffield uh, for two months in, in two consecutive years on a what they call block release journalism course, you know, at, she at Sheffield Richmond College. I would imagine it's still there, you know, and, and we stayed over uh, and, and, and those two years times two months certainly made up for me not going to university but I survived them mm. um you know we we, we 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 went and saw U2 playing in a little club like with 150 people in Sheffield you know you just wouldn't you wouldn't you know but you, you, we just went because somebody had free tickets um but it was a fantastic experience and you know so that's that's how it all started you know writing writing on local newspapers, going round to the local co-op funeral services to get the obituaries every week, going to the bind of my life was council meetings. I bloody hated council meetings <laughs> and everybody had to do at least one night job a week. Uh, so the news editor was there and he, he dished them out. Um, so you have to get, you have to, you know, at Wallasey Town Hall where World Council was based. So, you know, I think the, the worst one of all was planning. Anybody got a planning committee, then you know, they were in big trouble. But, you know, covering Tranmere Rovers in the day when there was one man and a dog watching and, um, you know, they somehow survived. They were going to go out of business. Uh, but it, it all, you know, it, it all set me up for what I did now. You know, I mean, those those days don't happen. You know, there are very few local local papers that are uh, that are paid for. It's mainly free sheets, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the experience of actually uh, being... In a in a in a big room where we had typewriters, we used typewriters, um, and basically it was the old uh, archetypal journalist. There was a room full of a, probably about fifteen journalists, all typing away, all smoking away. It was like full of smoke and everything, and, and the old-fashioned presses on the bottom floor, you know, used to go down, and and, and the, the presses were going to get the papers going every Tuesday and Thursday night, but. You know, it, it's it, for me, it's the best way, you know, start in local paper, you know, yeah. get to know your local area and, and, and get some experience of writing. Um, and the best advice when you start that I was ever given uh, my first day there as a, a raw recruit was and I, I would give this advice to anybody today. Uh, better to be two hours early than two minutes late. And I think that's, you know, that's the first bit of advice I'd give any uh, aspiring journalist. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, really, um, because when people probably look at you, Stuart, they'll probably see you know Sky Sports, ITV, BBC, all these great uh, companies that you work for, but they, they probably won't realise the amount of effort, time, resources, 
expense that has gone into getting to that point. You know, I was only only yesterday watching, uh, which is, is transfer, watching Joe Root play for England. And yeah, he's yeah. got 200, 200 odd runs, won the test match for England. Um, you know, captain of England, he's done great things, but probably people don't realise the amount of hours in the nets that he's spent, you know, and it's all relatable, you know, pe- the, the, you know, the hours and the, the the nets that you've spent, you know, going to Sheffield and, and doing all those years, doing all the stuff that you didn't want to do, but eventually it's paid off and, and helped you get where you are. I think it's all about a grounding and all about getting experience, you know, and I, it, to, to this day, I still use shorthand. You know, I, I was I was taught shorthand back in 1980, and you know, 40 40 years later, I still use it. Um, you know, it's all all these you know invaluable experiences that that, that add up and, and and count to what you're doing. Um, you know, and obviously you come across some real characters and um, people you that you don't get on with, but you have to get on with. Um, and and for me as well, another great bit of advice is contacts. Contact, 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 contacts. You know, I'm, I'm lucky that my phone has some amazing names and contacts on it. And, and from from yesteryear, from 30, 40 years ago, uh, and a lot of them I still count as friends. Um, but you know, the the, the the journalist contacts book is the most important tool uh, in the briefcase. And obviously, it's all on your phone now. But you know, I, 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 I up in the loft here, I will have. Uh, notebooks and and records going back years and years and years and old contact books, um, you know, just to be able to ring somebody up. Um, and, you know, it's all about trust as well. And I'm sure you both know, you know, in this in this industry, if, if people like you and people, more importantly, people trust you, uh, then you've got a great chance of, of, of going a long, long way. You know, you earn the trust, but, you know, they have to earn your trust as well. You know, and, and people, you know, to this day, people tell me things which I, I, I wish I could, you know, put on Twitter or uh, ring the news desk or, or whatever and say this is going to happen. But I don't because, you know, it's all off the record. It's all about trust. It's you know having a conversation with someone rather than just doing an interview. But uh, contacts are, are absolutely crucial. And, and any journalist, you know, in, in news, sport, whatever will tell you that. Just going on to the transition from say written media into to radio and and broadcast stuff how did you make that transition into the other side of media well i think uh, a lot of people a lot of journalists and commentators will agree uh, that uh, it's all about a lot of it is about right place right time you know and obviously your talent uh, will take you a long long way you know if you if you know good people that deploy you you know Everyone will know that in any industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you can hear Poppy Pike in the background. <laughs> I think somebody's outside. Um, yeah, but I, I, I started doing Radio City in Liverpool. Uh, didn't actually cover rugby league live, but they had a 15-minute slot every Sunday. You know, they do St Helens and Witness and Warrington and uh, Heighton back in the day, you know, who are no longer in business. But um, I wrote to Clive Tilsley who it was back then, who, who was sports editor of, of, of Radio City. Um, and um, he took me on on a Sunday. So I would literally do uh, match reports from a, a rugby ground and get interviews and then rush back to Stanley Street in Liverpool um, to try and turn it all round, ready for um, the, the seven o'clock slot. You know, and, and, and before that, 
you know, I, I talked about the Birkenhead News. There's a 17-year-old. I was actually running the press box at St Helens Rugby League at the old Nosley Road. Uh, 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 well, 17 stroke 18. My first job was it was in a pub, and I was telling the landlord, you know, um, what I wanted to do uh, as a career, and he just said, "Well, have a, have a word with him." I said, "Who's that?" He said, "His name's Morris Chesworth. He he runs St Helens Press Agency." You know, and, and, and you'll both know that back in the day, press agencies were huge, you know, huge business and all, out, uh, you know, outputs relied heavily on press agencies for, you know, for, for their news and sport. Mm. And uh, I got paid £20 for a Sunday afternoon, basically doing all the uh, all PA and all the local radio and local papers and sorting out the phones uh, in the press box. And you know, that was a great experience. But, you know, Radio City... Uh, helped me out, um, and then a job came up at Piccadilly Radio in Manchester, a sort of part-time job on a Saturday afternoon when they had a sports programme, and and you'd rush through with the scores, you'd, you'd sort of rip them off the machine, literally, in the old days, you'd rush through with the goals, and then I started doing a slot, the other scores, and then Richard Keyes was actually in charge of, of the sport at, at, at Piccadilly in Manchester, uh, just before he left to go to TVAM, uh, I can't remember, 84, 85, somewhere like that. Uh, they offered me a full-time job, um, you know, and, and, and that's how it all started. But, you know, obviously ability counts, uh, but being in the right place at the right time counts for a heck of a lot as well. From there, I've obviously read about your, your time at Oldham and I was listening to some of the podcast or video interviews that you've done in there for for their anniversary uh, what was that job like working there because obviously Oldham last day of the season against I think Sheffield Wednesday 3-2 um, to be there for you that must have been a, a fantastic moment and again to be part of the club at that time when the, the glory days as they call them must have been fantastic uh, time for you to be in that place at the right time. Sam you put your finger on it, um, it, it I was part of the club um, I mean, I started covering Oldham, I think, when, when I, it was the old Division 3, which is League 1 now. Um, I think my first game, they lost at home on a Friday night to Leighton Orient. Um, and they were going on a terrible run. Joe Royal had just taken over manager. And my, my sports editor at Piccadilly said, uh, I mean, I got off on the, really got off on the wrong foot. I, I wanted to go and do some Vox Pops. And all the fans, you know what they're like, sack my manager, get him out, and all the rest of it. So, of course, on the Monday morning, I got this phone call at home, at home. Uh, and it was Joe Royal who said, get to the ground now. I was summoned. Um, it was like a kangaroo court, but it was brilliant. I mean, after that, we, we got on famously. Um, and, and, and what happened, uh, I think, you know, all the things I've done in my career, something will have to go, that's right up there, those four or five years, the old of glory. Hey, listen, back then, uh, I travelled away on the team bus. I, I, you know, that would never happen now. Every, every away game, uh, they put you up, they pay for the hotel, uh, Joe would take all the backroom staff and us out for a meal uh, every Friday night and a few beers before the game. Uh, I just became really became part of the club um, and what they achieved in getting to Wembley uh, for the Little Woods Cup final 1990, lost to Nottingham Forest for promotion, winning the title, staying up. You know, people talk about that amazing uh, end to the season when they were 2 0 down and Neil Redfern's penalty and injury time gave them the title. They picked West Ham 3 2. They lost to Forest at Wembley. They, they, 
one of the worst days was when they lost to, uh, uh, or they drew rather, um, uh, with Man United in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. Uh, Mark Hughes scored a worldie in the last minute. Um, but then another, I think it was their second season in the Premier League, they had to win their last three games and, 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 and rely on other results going their way. They won at Aston Villa, a result which meant Villa couldn't win the title and United did. They then beat Liverpool in midweek and then beat Southampton on the Saturday to stay up. You know, and that was my last my last uh, game for Piccadilly doing Oldham. But, you know, it would just be part of the club. It wouldn't happen now, but some uh, amazing stories. Joe Royal um, to stay is still, still a very good friend of mine to this day. But, you know, the, it's very difficult to see that happening at any club, uh, the, the, the way they did it. You know, they did it on a, on a on a budget. I mean, he would beg, borrow, and steal, and turn these players into into Premier League players. But the Oldham story of the early nineties is is one of the great stories I think of modern day football. Did um, I, I mean you would have visited Boundary Park um, probably a few years before we did? Um, was it as cold then as it is yep. now? Because it is one of the coldest places yep. in the world. Is Oldham's ground? <laughs> I've got to say, at the end of it, I probably became immune to it uh, <laughs> because you, you're there. But honestly, it's like ten, 10 layers every time. I remember, I remember going. And no word of a lie. I can't know what it, it, it was. It was first. It might have been the first day of the season, uh, either their first or second season in the Premier League, uh, home game in August, uh, and it was hat and gloves. Um, and that that just about sums up Boundary Park. I mean, they used to call it I Station I Station Zebra, and it really was. I mean, everybody who's been to, to to Boundary Park to cover a game will know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know, it's just great fun. I mean, uh, 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 people watching here may not know that for a couple of years they had the plastic pitch. They were allowed by the FA in the Premier League to install a plastic pitch. Maybe just became unbeatable on it. Um, you know some of the great nights uh, of, of cup ties there. You know in the semi-finals of the of the League Cup first leg, beating West Ham six nil. Um, you know beating Villa and Man U and Liverpool and Everton. And you know they were they they really were you know fabulous days. I mean never to be forgotten, but uh, sadly never to be repeated. I don't think. Yeah, it's one of them. I. I uh... I grew up watching watching Bolton play, funnily enough, uh, due to family connections and, and stuff like that. And they had an incredible team where they were in, in the UEFA Cup, as it was then, top six of the Premier League under Sam Allardyce. And, and now you look at within 10 years, 10, 15 years, they've gone from those amazing highs to League Two football, similar to Oldham. But reverse that and then to, to try and think about them getting back up to where they were. I mean, certainly in the modern day now, I mean, it's just... Million, million miles away. Isn't it? Well, talk about getting involved with a club. I mean, that, that happened with me and Bolton as well. Um, I, I spent five or six years as, as IRN, Independent Radio News cricket correspondent, uh, following England cricket all around the world. I mean, you know, what a life. I got paid for it as well. Um, but after I left, I, I, I joined Sky Sports News on the Northwest Beat. And one of my first gigs uh, was covering Bolton. Uh, and Big Sam, um, you know, and, and, and Phil Brown, and, you know, it, it was just a, a fantastic time. But I, I became part of the club as well. And when they got promoted uh, for the first time, you know, Sky Sports News commissioned me to do a series of mini documentaries on um, preparing for life in the Premiership. So I, I basically spent every working hour at Bolton. 
um, you know, at Exton, where they used to have the training ground. Uh, and of course, at the Reebok, as it was then, they went on a pre. Uh, I'll tell you about this. Um, they went on a pre-season trip to Valencia. And myself and the cameraman uh, went out. I think they were there for a week. We were there with them for three days. Um, you know, brilliant hosts. But on the, uh, the, I bet you there's a lot of journalists up and down the country uh, who can claim that over the years they had been alladiced. Uh, <laughs> now, let me explain. On the last night that me and the cameraman were there, of course, you know, Sam, Sam was holding court. You know, meal, the drinks were flowing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't drink a great deal. Neither does the cameraman. Uh, but suffice to say that we missed our flight home the next morning. Um, we were well and truly alladiced and, um, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, great times, you know, brilliant. And I remember get, eventually getting back to Manchester airport and trying to make up by saying, well, I'll go back to, I'll go back to Wilmslow, which is where Sky Sports News is, uh, Northwest based is. And I cut you a piece for the six o'clock, um, a news piece. And, and to this day, I don't know how I managed to do that. Um, but it took me, it took me five days to recover from a night with Sam Allardyce, um, <laughs> you know, legendary, legendary. But you know, but th these are these are great stories and great times, aren't they? And you know, um, yeah, maybe one day I'll write a book. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, really, and and it's it's funny now having worked within a club for the last three or four years that these type of relationships with external media don't really happen that often now. You know, the the you know, like you say, they're travelling away with the team, going out, um, you know, the night before the game for a few beers and whatnot. And and I've been part of that. You've been part of it, Sam. And and, and I think that, uh, you know, those kind that kind of culture, certainly with the outside media, because I think I think certainly inside clubs now, it, it's kind of a bit of a closed door policy, really, where, you know, as you'll know, uh, probably in, in your time, Stuart, you've probably seen the evolution of in-house club staff uh yeah. you know and, and even organizations like the pdc uh you know the, the the efl stuff like that they've got their own teams now and, and 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 those days are probably you know probably gone so but still great times for you i i, I can imagine well yeah i mean the the the, the one thing that i in the sky sports news days and in my piccadilly radio days as well before really there were press officers um and, and far too many clubs now have press officers who are gatekeepers. You know, I remember you at Fleetwood, you know, you do anything for everyone. Danny Rubin, who is now the, the, the media manager for England cricket, when he was a, I first met him when he was at Bolton, you know, and his philosophy now is what it was then. How can I help you? Um, and, and sadly, sadly, there are, there are those media guys and girls are few and far between today. You know, and I think I think sports poorer for it. Um, I think there could be so much more publicity uh, for clubs and for all sports if if the media managers and the, and the press officers, you know, wanted to be helpful uh, rather than saying no, 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 no. And you know, I think that's half the problem these days. Um, the PDC are brilliant. Um, you know, the amount of the, the, the professional darts corporation, the amount of stuff that they put out in terms of content. Um, um, yeah, I mean, things have changed. Things have changed hugely uh, from when I first started. I'm sure things have changed a lot from, from when you started at Fleetwood to when you finished at Fleetwood. And it, it all evolves, doesn't it? And, you know, um, I think it's evolution rather than revolution, and that will continue. Um, you know, but I'd like to see the, 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 the times 
uh, I mean, listen, there, there are some clubs and that, you know, journalists will know uh, who I'm talking about, who are really helpful, who go out their way, who give you a call. How can I help you? Um, and, you know, there's, but there's, sadly, there's far too many who are not. Just to give you an example of how things have changed. When I worked at Piccadilly Radio, uh, I was asked, I said, can you, uh, can you go down to the cliff, Manchester United's old training ground, and get uh, an interview with Sir Alex or with Fergie, with Alex Ferguson, as he was then. So, um, yeah, no problem. So I rang him. And, you know, I had Alex Ferguson's desk phone, no mobiles in those days. Uh, and he, he, he picked up the, the phone, his normal gruff thing. I told him, you know, right, yeah, yeah, come, come, come down, come down. So I go down to the cliff, doors are open, come in, park over there, off you go in. And I went in and um, somebody must have gone up and said, you know, Stuart Pike from Piccadilly, he's, he, he comes down. You know, in his training gear and his his um, white socks and, and and sandals, takes me up to his office, uh, makes me a cup of tea. We do three or four minutes of an interview, talk for twenty minutes, and off I go. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? So Alex Ferguson made me a cup of tea, but it was all saying all about trust. But I go back to say all about trust. All the people back then, like the journalists, they covered Man United, and Man City. It was their beat. They covered Everton and Liverpool. It was their beat. And um, you built up trust with the with the clubs, and you know they would open the doors for you. And, that, and it was the same at Everton, at Belfield, at Liverpool, at Melwood. You know, you just go in uh, and, and and you know interview people as they came off the training ground. You know, as, as long as as long as you didn't you know do them over, you know they were they were as good as gold. And but you can't imagine that happening today. How times have changed with security yeah. guards and uh, yeah, ID here. Um, as, as I say, it's the gatekeepers. It's the gatekeepers' philosophy, and you know, sadly, it, it comes too much into sport in all sports. Uh, I'd imagine probably more in football than any other. The, the higher you go up, the more difficult it is. You know, to say I know when you guys were at, at Fleetwood that you know you would encourage people to come and and, and ring people and you know, come up with stories to cover and, you know, and that's how it should be. That's you know, a good working relationship between football clubs and journalists is an absolute must, more for the clubs. They're the ones that are going to get the publicity and the benefits. Exactly. We'll, have to, uh, we'll have to pay for that glowing reference, Stuart. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Put me invoicing afterwards. But yeah. moving on to the darts, how did that, gig come about because I guess that was something when you got the phone call or an email that you were just like wow well, what happened when I, when I, I talked about when I joined Sky Sports News in 1998 I've always loved that you know all the old days of, of, of the lakeside and watching the greats like Bristow and Jockey Wilson and John Lowe etc etc well when I when I started at Sky Sports News Sky obviously did I think there were there were uh, three tournaments and a fourth came along uh, but there was never anything around it. Uh, so I, I started telling them that I think we should do more darts. So basically I became, you know, the unofficial go-to guy for darts. I would, I would go and interview, uh, you know, Taylor uh, and, you know, all, all the people, then the winners, you know, after they'd won tournaments, I'd do previews, I'd, you know, and I provide quite a lot of content. You know, we took Peter Manley and, uh uh, to Blackpool Pleasure Beach and, you know, put him on all the rides and, you know, when he won a, a tournament in America. But and then it, what's, what, what came about was that Sky were, were basically doing more and more tournaments 
uh, again, right place, right time. And, and another thing about, about you know, journalism, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know, and, and, and every, every journalist will tell you that, you know, you need a helping hand. Well, back in 2003, Sky were talking about needing another commentator. It was Sid, Sid Waddell and Dave Lamming and John Gwynn. And they were the, they were the, the three famous names on Sky. Sadly, uh, Sid and Dave no longer are with us. And they wanted another commentator. Dave Clark had just started commentating, uh, presenting, sorry, uh, the darts on Sky. Now, when I worked at Piccadilly Radio, he worked at Capital Radio in London. You know, and back in those days, in the early 90s, independent radio sport was king. You know, you, you, you'd struggle to believe that now, but uh, the, the independent stations covering football blew the BBC out the water. Uh, of course, everything changed now. So I knew him very well from him working at Capital Radio in, in, in London with Jonathan Pierce and me working at Piccadilly. And he put my name forward to the uh, to then producer, Rory Hopkins, and said, give Stuart Pike a go. He loves his darts. He's doing it for Sky Sports News. I got a call saying, right, the world match play at Blackpool in July. Come up on the first Monday. Shadow, Sid, Dave and John. Um, and let's see how you get on, and then we'll, we might give you a go on the Tuesday. So I got to the Imperial Hotel, many people will know on the front at Blackpool, uh, to be met by um, by Sid, you know, who is just the, the, the most wonderful man. You know, we, we became very, very close friends, my mentor and my great friend, uh, who said, right, kidder, he used to call everyone kidder, <laughs> right, kidder, you're not shadowing, you're in. First game of the tournament, Monday afternoon, one o'clock, Keith, Stella against John Lowe, it's you and me, you know, and I, I, you can imagine that, um, you know, it, it, not blind panic, but, you know, excitement. So I went in and I did this game um, and uh, said, you know, just let me be me and do what I do. Uh, you know, he guided me and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and that was it, July 2003, and I've never looked back. So again, right place, right time. So it is an incredible, it is. Uh, incredible. It is how it works out. But I'm sure lots of uh, sports journalists and uh, presenters and commentators will tell you exactly the same thing. Like I said before, guys, ability is one thing because if you don't have that, then people won't employ you. Um, but right place, right time, and uh, it's not what you know; it's who you know, and 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 that carries you a heck of a long way. But obviously, when you get the opportunity, it's up to you to make the most of it, to take that chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, a stroke of luck. Uh, you know, and I owe so much to Dave Clark for putting my name forward, but you know, I haven't looked back like 18 years on the darts now. Just something that comes to mind when you, your last answer about being yourself, someone has, who's done radio, com, co-commentated myself and, and done my own things away from from um, sport in that respect. But how important do you think it is just to be yourself or don't go and impersonate someone else and, and try and be like them? Just, I guess that's other advice you would give another young um, journalist who's looking to get into the uh, broadcast industry. Well, absolutely, Sam. And that was one thing I was going to bring up later on. Um, for, for me, you have to be yourself. Believe in yourself, but be yourself and do your own thing. Everybody's different, you know, and... and um, you know, but my, my philosophy is now, I mean, as I said to you, I'm 60 uh, in the summer and I absolutely love what I do. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, Thanks, I'm not Sam. <laughs> Good lad. I, I, I queued you up. You didn't let me down. Um, but 
my, I, as long as the phone keeps ringing and the emails keep coming in, I'll carry on. You know, and, and, and when they don't, I get the message. People have had enough of me or, you know, it's time for the next generation to come through. But I think it's very important that you have to believe in yourself and believe in your own ability. Along the way, you know, and I, I, you, you've got to be thick-skinned as well, especially in, the, in, the, in this age of, of, of social media, which has now completely exploded, hasn't it, over the last uh, five or ten years. You know, someone, could, someone, you know, that you don't know from Adam, um, can go on Twitter uh, and and call you up uphill and down dale and all sorts and tell you what they think of you and you know my my I used to reply uh, in the early days of social media and my my stop reply was use the mute button mate you know because it, it never really bothered me but I just I you know I ignore it now you know if, if people don't like what I do then then so be it the people that, that matter do like what I do and most people do I think you've got to be thick-skinned as well um for sure but yeah I, I, it's absolutely crucial that you that you that, that, that you believe and have the confidence in yourself you know to do what you want to do and if if if, if you're looking for an opening and looking to get in um, you know, don't take no for an answer. That's another bit of advice I would give you. If, if you if you speak to somebody or send a letter, or obviously going to be an email, and they say, well, you know, not at the moment. Don't just say, oh, well, fair enough. Send another email. Then the next week, send another email. Get yourself noticed. Really important advice for any any you know young aspiring sports journalists and broadcasters and presenters. Get yourself noticed. And the only way to do that is keep banging on that door, banging on that door. And, and it will be open for you, I promise. Today's podcast is brought to you by the nationally acclaimed Friends of Ham Bar and Charterie. Friends of Ham have recently launched their online shop to bring people all over the country some of their finest artisan cheese, natural wines and craft beers that the world has to offer. Whether it's a few drinks, nibbles or a whole night in, Friends of Ham have you covered with everything from small portions of meat or cheese for cooking, cheese and meat platters as well as substantial food and drink pairing experiences. Nationwide deliveries are available. Go and check them out at www.friendsofham.com for an exclusive 10% discount. The Press Room podcast listeners can use the code PRESSROOM10 at checkout for the 10% discount. So for someone like me who um, who hasn't um, met Sid Waddell, uh, obviously while he, while he was with us, I know you mentioned him there about the first time that you'd met him in, in 2003 at Blackpool. Just, just try and paint the picture about what kind of uh, broadcaster and, what, and probably more importantly, what kind of man he was in terms of the influence that he had on your career. Just the most amazing man. Um, you know, uh, crackers, crazy, eccentric, uh, but loving, uh, kind, um, um, just, a, just a, a lovely human being. I mean, he, the, the, for me, the word legend is used far too often. Um, you know, especially in sport, uh, uh, but he was, you know, an absolute legend when it came to when it came to the person he was, and, 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 and you know, as a commentator. And to this day, um, just just to sum up, he 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 uh, he looked after me. He took me under his wing. Uh, he, he he guided me. Uh, he gave me advice. Uh, he made me pay for his beer. Um, no, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. But one of the greatest honours of my entire life was um, Sid's 65th birthday. You know, and he had a he had a big 
uh, rambling house in Pudsey. Uh, and Irie and his wife, I, I, I'm still in touch with now, just a lovely, lovely lady. Um, and uh, Sid asked me to give the, the speech at his party, his 65th birthday party. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was, it was one of the greatest honours. That's just the sort of guy he is. I mean, he, he would, he, 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 you, you get what you, you see on the tin, but in return, you get a lot of love and affection. And, you know, just, just one of the most uh, wonderful, you know, human beings that I've been privileged to meet. Oh, and I guess Sid was part of, of your family in a way, but how important is it to have a supportive family and group around you in this industry? Because you can be on the road for a few days. You could be in my hometown of Blackpool, which you mentioned before. Yeah. And- and traveling all around. So how important is it for you that you have a supportive family? Well, I mean, it, it, people will tell you, and, and, it, and it's a fact that, that, that journalism is a, is a high-risk uh, business when it comes to relationships and, and the percentage of, of, of divorces. I mean, I got divorced uh, back in 1998. I was away, basically, I was away for three or four months every winter covering England cricket, and I was away a week every other week during the summer with the cricket and uh, myself and my first wife just grew apart. Um, you know, thankfully we have two lovely children who are massively old and grown up and still want Bank of Dad to be open on a daily basis. Um, but That won't change. Uh, yeah, well, no, it'll never change. To anybody out there, that will never change. Um, but, but, yeah, it is. I mean, it was difficult. I'm, I'm absolutely certain it's difficult for, 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 for my ex-wife. Um, you know, Chris, my wife at the moment, you know, she's brilliantly supportive, but she's in the industry. She used to have her own independent production company. Uh, she does media training. Uh, I work with her at Piccadilly Radio, so she's very understanding. You know, I, I, I still go away for periods of time. The, the most is three weeks. Uh, when I was doing the World Series of Darts, we went to Australia for three weeks. Um, you know, we've been to America for a period of time. She's come with me on a couple of trips, uh, but I think by the time by the time these dark trips come around now, uh, she's going to have to get rid of me. She's got to go in. So, uh, especially after is, lockdown. Yeah, well, absolutely. Actually, to be fair, we've gotten better during lockdown, surprisingly. But that's because I think that's because we've created this room upstairs now into a sort of mini office and mini lounge because there's only the two of us in the house. So I think we don't see each other all day, come together for tea. Um, <laughs> but no, I think, I mean, it is important. I mean, don't, you know, joking apart, it, 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 it's very, very difficult, you know, to, 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 but the support of your family is really important. You know, I think that my, my, my father died nearly 10 years ago and he was always pushing me to do this and do that and go down to London and, uh, I never wanted to do that because of the kids, you know. I, and I, I turned down a lot of very good jobs in London. I just didn't want to be away from my children, and that's a choice I made. Um, but you know, when I started commentating, you know, obviously being in St Helens, it's a huge rugby league town. And, and when I first started commentating on uh, rugby league for Radio Five, you know, he, he was the proudest man there was. I'd love him to have been alive when I started doing. Sky rugby league commentary on a regular basis because that's what you know that dads want the best for their for their kids, don't they? And um, but yeah, I mean, huge support as I said to you even before when he knew I wasn't going to go into and follow the family footsteps and uh, as a solicitor, you know, he he backed me to the hill. But yeah, I mean, um, but it, it, it don't 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 misconstrue the fact that you know 
it's also high risk, uh, but I think the rewards are there. They're worth the risk, I think so. Do you think that um, 15, 20 years ago when you started doing darts that you'd be sat now talking about how you'd be going around the world with darts? The growth of the sport's been phenomenal, hasn't it? Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, you know, and the, the World Championship, the last few days of the World Championship on Sky uh, just a, a few weeks ago was over a million constantly. The, you know, you know, and put that in, in, in terms, that's that's probably more than 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 eighty percent of terrestrial television uh, is getting. The final peaked at one point five million. ITV are getting similar figures on on ITV four. Um, it's huge all around the world. Um, you know, and the, but but the market's there. You know, I, I, I always go back to was it two thousand and eight with the uh, with the, the the Great Recession. Um, Darts was recession proof. Um, in that time, uh, it grew. Um, but you know, you 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 go around the country, about 10, 11, 12,000 people watching darts. I did a tournament, a World Series event in in Germany, in Schalke or Gelsenkirchen, it's called, uh, which they have the transportable pitch, mm-hmm. and they and they, they they have a stadium next door, and they literally roll the pitch out into the stadium, play the game, and then roll it back out again. But darts, mm-hmm. they took the German darts masters took place in that stadium, in front of twenty one thousand people, to watch darts. I mean, obviously they're watching on big screens. I mean, you, you sort of you're seeing sort of two matchsticks on the stage, but it's all it's all part of what darts is. You know, it's just great entertainment. You know, when the crowds are there, they love it. They get into it. Obviously, people have a beer and have a laugh and a joke and a sing. You know, the players get involved. But uh, I, I've always said it's just great sporting entertainment. No doubt about that. And um, leads us on nicely to, to when you talk about entertainment, because something that you have been entertaining people with, um, certainly over the last few months, while it's been a very difficult time for everyone, is Man With A Mic. Um which I think has been really, really, really uh, great to see on social media, and 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 I think, um, I'm you know I know it's something that you've enjoyed doing as well, a bit of fun and, and put smiles on faces. But I know you mentioned a little bit about it earlier, just just for those that might not have seen it, what how, how did it all come about, and, and what's the thinking behind it from you? Well, as I say, yeah, my my, my neighbour over the road just you obviously knows what I do, and just you know why don't you why don't you commentate from home? Um, so I, I I did and. Um, I mean, literally, man with a mic. It, it just came to me. It's sort of hashtag man with a mic, uh, and um, I just started doing it, you know. And it, it, to, literally talking about what is happening in my street, um, you know, the most boring things, but being able to <laughs> commentate on on the style in which the the bin men empty the bins, you know, and giving them a yellow card when they put the bins back across the path instead of leaving them on the pavement. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and a man walking his dog or a white van going past or, you know, a man with a pram. There was a man with a pram in the distance. Um, so it's just literally life, life, you know, on, on every street up and down this country. And, and that's what I was commentating on. Uh, my little dog, Poppy, became a bit of a star as well. She liked to, 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 to get into it. Um, you know, it, it generated quite a bit of publicity with the with TV, local TV and BBC Breakfast wanted to, to do a bit on it and some of the papers. And, but it, it just, it's literally a bit of fun. You know, I, I, as I say, I'm going to put a, um, the next one will be worth looking out for. Um, but it's never, sh- never short of ideas. And, you know, they're not contrived either. Um, they literally, they are what they are. They just happen. 
um, there's a there's a, a, a quite a famous rugby league player who lives over the road from me, um, um, good friend of mine, and he 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 literally became mystery man with a mower. You know, we cannot we cannot and we will not reveal his identity. Uh, maybe we will at some stage. Um, and you know, even to the point where he was, he, he was, he was, he was coming out of his house to put the bins out, and he heard me over the road commentating. You know, and I was shouting, "There's mystery man with a mower!" And he just played up to it. You know, he put his hoodie up and ran away. Um, <laughs> you know, but it thought it, it that that it is. It's all it, it's all good fun. And fair play to all my you know all the neighbours and friends. They bought into it. You know, they don't they don't mind being featured now and again. Um, I think during lockdown in the summer. Over the road, there was a socially distanced game of bingo going on. So I joined in, um, you know, and I, I pretended I'd won the house after three numbers. And, you know, they loved it. They loved it. And, it, you know, long may it continue, but it, it would be nice. I think the, 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 the best thing I could say about Man With A Mic is that when it finishes, it, for good, it means that we're all back to normal. Because once, 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 once we are, hopefully not too soon, or not too far away, rather, um, very soon we're, we're sort of back to where we used to be, and then there will be no more uh, man with a mic, or maybe there will. Stuart, do you think I was speaking to um, Robbie? We had a photographer on the podcast, and he was saying, "Well, I asked him, do you think the lockdowns?" given people more license to be creative. You talk about there about what you've done and I've got into photography. I've had to be more creative what I do due to where I can travel and, and where I can go. Is that something that you um, agree with, that it has allowed people to try something new and, and be creative in the industry or, or areas that they're focusing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a completely new way of living, you know. And uh, I mean, just to put it into perspective, you know, of course, it's 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 nearly a year ago since this awful disease uh, started to, to to filter around the world, um, and I remember uh, the last three sporting events before the lockdown. The Thursday night um, with the Premier League darts at Liverpool at the Echo Arena or, or, or M&S Arena, as it's called now. I'm not sure. Um, and then on the Friday night, I was doing. Uh, Salford against Wigan for Five Live and on the Sunday afternoon Castleford against St Helens for Five Live and that was the last big sporting event with crowds uh, I, I was, people weren't laughing and joking uh, but everybody was sort of going round and sort of going you're right you know uh, not quite realising that nobody realised you know what was going to hit us and, and, and what was to come and that, as I said to you before I had four months with nothing um, you know, I'm lucky that, you know, I was able to get through it. And uh, one of the lucky ones, and I know there's a lot of uh, journalists and broadcasters, photographers who are a lot worse off than, than I am. And, you know, I hope they all uh, find a way back into the industry. But I just think it gives people a, a free hand. And that, that's why people have started to do other things and, you know, be a bit more creative. I, I started... A, going back 10 years, maybe longer, I started, I love my crime thrillers, I love crime thrillers, books, reading, talking books, and I started my own crime thriller about 10 years ago, and I wrote about two chapters, I mean, ah, it's probably a load of rubbish, uh, working title of Five O'Clock Shadow, um, <laughs> and um, I, it, it, I wrote a few more chapters of that, whether it'll ever, you know, whether it'll ever see the light of day, who knows, um, 
but you know, I've had the time to do it. Uh, and I think, I just hope that as far as the, the sports journalism and across all spheres is concerned, that some good comes out of it for a lot of people. So the, the sad thing for me is the people who have, who have lost jobs, you know, and, and I, 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 and I won't, I won't say his name, uh, a sports photographer who I've known for many, many years from covering England cricket tours, absolutely brilliant, one of the very best, working for national newspapers. Um, he had to start delivering for, for Amazon during lockdown. You know, it's changed a lot of people. Um, you know, but he's good enough, and you know, he will he will get get a job again very very soon, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole world has changed forever, hasn't it? It certainly has, and I echo your words and hoping that soon, especially with the vaccines, that we can get back to to some normality. Yeah. Um, talking about Twitter and obviously hashtag uh, man with a mic and stuff. Would you say that having longevity in the industry um, is people being able to go across multiple platforms, i.e. Um, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Because I guess that wasn't around when you started. Um, no, it, 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 it wasn't. I mean, it's, it's a very good point you make, Sam. Um, and I, and I think everybody has their own way of doing things. Uh, I'm on Twitter, that's it. You know, and I, I for me, uh, if I want to see something on Facebook, I'll use my wife's login. Um, and, you know, Instagram, if I want to put pictures up, I'll put them up on Twitter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm old school. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 60 in the summer, Sam, but I don't look it. Is that right? Do you am I'm in that. I'm not. I'm Is that your catchphrase now? That yeah, one. <laughs> uh, it, will be, it will be. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm joking apart. I, am old, I guess I'm old school. Um, and, you know, Twitter for me is... is it works. It's got me some work, um, you know, and it, it's it's enabled me to, you know, to talk to to, to millions of people around the world, you know, and, and I think it's a brilliant thing, social media, uh, and I think it's what works for you. Uh, but the, the, what I would say uh, for a bit of advice is don't overload it. You don't have to have every single social social media outlet, um, you know, to be able to to make best use of your talents and to showcase what you can do. Um, you know, people will prefer, you know, Instagram. People will prefer Facebook. You know, Twitter's my preference, and uh, and that's it. But um, I think social media has become a great place, hasn't it, for for, mm -hmm. for, for allowing people to to to, to show uh, the working world, you know, what they're capable of. I mean, it's a bad place as well. Let's not, mm -hmm. you know, let's not, you know, beat around the bush. That it, it, it can be a venomous, awful place. Um, but you've got to be thick-skinned. You know, my advice to anybody, um, especially a young journalist starting off, uh, never respond. Anybody has a go or critic, never respond. That's what they want. They want you to, even if you're tempted to, tempted to do, just walk away. Never respond to the idiots, the keyboard warriors, because all they are is jealous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Nope, great advice, um, Stuart. Just to, just to end the man with a mic section, um, I, I saw on Twitter uh, that you, you're now doing some personalised messages. Is that right? With, with some benefits going to, to charity. Do you want to just give us a little, yeah. little shout on yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, ba basically, I mean, a friend of mine said, well, you know, or some neighbours over the road for their son's birthday asked me to do a, a, a couple of things, do a man with a mic, personalised, um, you know, tailored for them. So all I thought was that, you know, if, 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 if people want to... 
a customised man with a mic, making it personal and talking about their street and their relatives and their friends, then I'd do it, you know, and, and, and the profits would go to uh, the local hospice, Willowbrook Hospice, who looked after my mum, you know, in her, in her, in her last couple of weeks uh, before she passed away. So, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to get in touch, at Stuart Pike Sport on Twitter, uh, I'm very happy to oblige doing, you know, doing a, a personalised uh, man with a mic and, you know, having a laugh and having a bit of fun. And, you know, uh, hopefully Willowbrook uh, can benefit as well. Perfect. Uh, an absolute great cause and uh, hopefully you can get many people yeah. uh, from listening to this in, involved with that. Um, yeah, I think you're giving some great advice to young and up-and-coming uh, sports journalists, broadcasters um, in the field. But we've got some kind of quick-fire questions um, well, I say quick fire. We've asked everyone else, and they've taken five minutes to answer some of them. But I'll start with one off. It's um, the favourite co-commentator that you've ever worked with. Oh, blimey! Very, very. Might difficult. lose a few friends with this, Stuart, yeah. if you answer wrong. You well, follow no, us. That's a, that, yeah, that's that, that's a tough one, I and mean, I, I might have to take the fifth. Um, <laughs> listen, they're all they're all they're all good. I mean, it'd be very difficult to to, to, to pick one out. I mean, you're talking about Sid and Dave and John Gwynn and the people I work with now on the darts, Wayne Mardle and. Mark Webster, John Park, Chris Mason, Alan Warren, all great. You know, they're all different. That's the beauty of it. They're all different. You know, so we all have a laugh in different ways. Um, and, and what I would say is that when it comes to rugby league, uh, they're all brilliant. You know, and, and I think rugby league folk uh, are, are just different class and different quality. Uh, you know, and I've, I've been lucky to work with, you know, was amazing. I remember, I remember in, in the early days working with Alex Murphy, the great Alex Murphy, the great Kevin Ashcroft, you know, all, you know, brilliant players in their day, internationals and, you know, coaches have been there and done it. And, you know, to this day, the likes of, of Barry McDermott, Terry O'Connor, Phil Clark and the people on the radio, like, you know, John Wilkin, John Keir, you know, and, and a lot of the players who are doing it now. Very difficult to pick one, um, and, and, and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure they'd say the same. But man, you know, they may, you know, if you ask them, they may say that I'm, you know, I'm their favourite commentator, but I don't. <laughs> well, I think you've successfully managed to name everybody in your phone book there. Um, so you, I, you're very I, clever. I, I'll give you that. There's, 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 there's a way, and there's a way, and that was the way. <laughs> <laughs> Have you have you, um, have you got a? I know this probably will be difficult to answer another one really. But out of darts, rugby, football, everything that you've covered, has there ever been one moment in the in the commentary box or, or when you've been present at, at a, an event or a match or or something like that where you've gone? This is number one in terms of the best thing that I've commentated on, best thing I've seen. Whether it's a World Championship final, whether it's a, you know, I know you spoke earlier about Oldham. Is is there anything yeah. that you can you can think of that's number one? Well, the Oldham days. Um, yeah, we're, we're right up there in darting terms. You know, seeing Gary Anderson, who's a very good friend of mine, finally win a world championship, uh, that would be right up there. Um, I was very lucky. Uh, I mean, this 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 is a magic moment. I was very lucky to be in Antigua back in 1990. Ooh, can't remember the year when Brian Lara beat Gary Sober's record. And, uh, and overtook Sobers as the top scorer in Test cricket. You know, I was on the ground that day, and at lunchtime, you know, that just goes to show how different things are. I, I strode across the field into the West Indies dressing room and interviewed him for two minutes. He was still not out, but it was just just one of those moments when you know this 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 is history in the making. Um, in rugby league, sadly, that moment hasn't yet come. England win, or Great Britain winning the World Cup, so I'm hoping that will come later on in the year, and then that would that would really put the top hat on it. 
another question here for we got off some on Twitter. Uh, what's the favourite venue um, for you to be at for the darts? And I'm hoping my hometown, Blackpool's. Winter Gardens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Winter Gardens is the number one without a shadow of that. I love the Alley Pally and what it's become. Um, the perfect venue uh, for the World Championship. But just something, I don't know, iconic and romantic and... Um, you know, it, it just sort of, it really does make the hair stand up every time you go into the Winter Gardens. Uh, and, um, you know, it, 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 the, the crowd is very knowledgeable. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the building itself is just an amazing place and the atmosphere that it generates. Of course, it'll also be my first ever tournament on commentary. But I just think all around the Winter Gardens is just a, a very special place. Another question um, came in on Twitter from uh, Nigel Pearson. You might have seen this on social media, but he said, uh, how do you control your emotions in the darts commentary box when uh, yeah, Everton, concede, Everton concede? I saw this, and this is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is a regular occurrence, as you'll know, being an Evertonian. Uh, but yeah, it's very, they, all, they all take the bleep out of me whenever they're playing and I'm at the darts. I, just, I mean, I, even to this day, I, I, I get, I'm, a, I, my, I'm a worse loser the older I get. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly 60, you know. Um, really? No way. And no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? Uh, but I, I get worse as I go, as I get older for losing. And, you know, it, it, it happens quite often that, that I literally can't speak. So the other, <laughs> that's why he's asking. The other, the other commentator will know that, that the, the op- there was one famous occasion. It was at the Ali Pali. Uh, and it was Everton nil, Liverpool one. And I can't remember who it was. It might have been Origi. I don't know. At Goodison scored about three minutes into injury time. Oh, I think it was Marnie. I think he scored like that, that, yeah, that day. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I just put the mic down, and I, I just sat there for thirty seconds. I think <laughs> Wayne. It was Wayne. Was absolutely. I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. Um, sometimes I'm sort of off my chair and I'm standing up, and it's much nicer when Everton score and Everton win. But no, um, there's been there's, there's been some moments. Thanks, Nigel. <laughs> well, at least they're playing better now. There's more chance of them scoring at the moment. Isn't there? They're actually doing all right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Um, hey, we dare to dream at Everton. I think the one thing you can say about being an Evertonian is it's never dull. Uh, but we're, we're daring to dream, to dream under Carlo Magnifico, Carlo Fantastico. So. Um, final question for me before we go on to a bit of a, a special subject towards the end. And I'm, we're going to ask this to all of our guests on the first series of the Press Room Pod. But if you were to choose a go-to meal deal, it could be a sandwich, pasty, pie, a crisp and a drink. What three would you choose? Oh. I've not seen that reaction before. <laughs> that is tough. That is tough. Well, the, 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 um, since, since the new year, I've lost over half a stone. So, like, like a, a meal deal is uh, well at the moment. It, it, it would be boring. It'd be it'd be sushi, fruit, and and and, and uh, seven up free. That's as it stands at the moment. Wow! But it, ask me. You've again changed, Stuart. You've changed. <laughs> I, yeah, well, ask, ask me again in two months, and it'll be a big Mac meal. <laughs> sushi from St. Helens. I never would have thought that. I never would have put them two together. Right. Well, there you go. We are, we are, we are, you know, we are, we are, we're cultured. We've got a bit of fun to end with, uh, Stuart, and we, we, we kept it in the darts theme. Um, now, we, me and Sam were thinking beforehand about what kind of nicknames we'd have if we were darts players. And um, I know you would have seen your fair share over the years of uh, ridiculous names and walk-ons and that type of thing. Um, but I'd quite like to know what 
what would your walk on music be if you were, you must have thought about this in the in the box in the booth many a times about if if Stuart Pipe were going to come out and throw some darts tonight, what would he be walking out to? Well, I can tell you what the nickname would be because I I, I remember all the way back in two thousand seven when ITV first uh, commentated and covered the Grand Slam in Wolverhampton. Uh, at the end of it, um, you know, the, the the producer and the directors and the, the crew came up with nicknames for everyone, and they all you know, we, we all had a big photo taken on the stage with his red polo shirts on. Um, nicknames, and um, I, I don't know why, uh, but my nickname was Forty Pound. Uh, I Stuart Pike, Forty Pound Pike, or Stuart Forty Pound Pike. So it would be definitely Forty Pound, uh, but maybe r- rather than weight, rather w- with a pound sign. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, you I, might have lost Forty Pound by. Uh, well, by I've, I've, lo- I've lost a bit. I've lost a bit, but I, I the, the one thing I would probably do. Is I sort of, again it's showing my age. It's something like "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey or "Heat of the Moment" by Asia. That sort of American uh, American rock uh, of the uh, of the eighties. That 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 would definitely be up there for me as a walk on song. Sam, what about you? We were discussing a little bit before, but what was it, what would yours potentially be? Go on, go on, Sam. Come on. I'm, what, I'm, would nickname, a a... What, what would the nickname be? Well, we were thinking about this before, and and. In terms of the nickname, I'm, I'm trying to think really what I'd have. I know, I think I know what music I'd have because I, I'm a bit of a boxing fan and I quite like to, uh, quite, watch, quite quite liked watching uh, Vladimir Klitschko. And I remember yeah. when he fought David A, which was one of the first fights that I can remember watching. Um, and he came out to Red Hot Chili Peppers in this, I think he was in Germany again, actually, Stuart. Maybe the yeah. same arena that you're talking about. And it was uh, Can't Stop by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I remember watching yeah. it and thinking, wow, this looks incredible. You know, the whole setup yeah. that he had. And I always thought, you know what? I think that'd probably be my walk. That'd be good. Well, yeah. that, I, think, I, I think a good nickname, I don't, I don't think anybody's got it. How about Sam the Devil? Sam the Devil Duffy. Oh, I like Ooh. that. <laughs> that's, that's quite good off the top of my head. It sounds, it sounds a lot better when you say it than, than what I would think about, yeah. <laughs> Sam the Devil Duffy. I, I like to think of yourself as quite a nice guy, though, Stuart, so I don't think that might work for me. Well, have you looked in the mirror? Go on, Sam. My, I think, I was looking at a few before. I've got one in my mind. I was thinking Metallica, Enter Saman would be a good one, but it's probably very original. I'd probably have to go for Glad All Over, uh, just due to the Blackpool connections and, and coming out there and knowing a few people. A bit way out there. A little bit, but uh, just you have to represent your hometown. The crowd when they, when you come out—is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Something like that. But um, yeah, just that, that at the top of my head, those two were were stuff that came into mind, and we were using I think the Sky Sports app or there's a website where you can oh, put yeah, your dart yeah. name generator. And uh, one of Sam's that came up was Sam One Dart Duffy, but I've never seen him throw a good dart to be fair, so that was scrapped. Um, but I went for Sam the Flash Fielding as mine. Oh, how, about how about the rock? The rock. Blackpool. Blackpool. Oh, yeah. The rock. I never yeah. thought about that. Hey. Smart, aren't you, Stuart? Um... <laughs> that's why you're yeah. paid the big dose, Stuart. That's why you're still... I, I know oh, you're getting towards wish. 60, but that's why you're still still at the top of your game. Yeah, yeah. I only look 50, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, 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 think, uh, I think everyone now, weirdly, would quite like to be a... You know, I think people probably look at darts and think... You know, you could probably do that. You know, you look at the guys that, that go oh, up yeah. there, but I think until you've actually tried it, I mean, it's a, 
It's well, an I'm incredible and difficult sport. You'll know yourself, yeah, won't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 26 is, is a great score for me. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, just go back to what you're saying about Gary Wynn Price. If, 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 you know, if, if you're good enough, you know, the, the opportunity's there to, to earn a living. And who would have ever thought that a world champion at darts collects half a million pounds, you know? Um, and, you know, it, 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 listen, it, 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 it's still, for me, it's still as brilliant now to be able to do what I do and get paid to do it. I've always said in life I get paid for doing a hobby, you know, and I can't say fairer than that. I mean, I'm very, very lucky. I think that at the World Championship, just to sort of... Uh, what epitomised that for me is that there was a, a an amazing game between Michael Van Gerwen and Joe Cullen, um, w- which Van Gerwen won in, in a deciding leg, and it went all, oh, and it was just probably one of the best games in the history of the World Championship. And, and at the end of it, uh, because it was so good, John Part and I were just commentating as fans, not not as commentators. We were just fans lucky enough to be able to talk about this and what was unfolding in front of us and you know uh, to be able to do that uh, i hope i can still carry on doing it for a little while longer um you know but but if if if, if anyone's paid enough or paid for doing a hobby they're they're very lucky in life yeah i think that's a great way to uh, to finish actually Stuart. i think that's a a great way to look at what if, if if you get into sport, lucky enough to work in sport, then I think that's definitely definitely one thing uh, one thing that you can you can definitely take for granted. That is for sure. Absolutely, Stuart. It's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, thanks so much for for your time. We're looking forward to seeing the uh, continued success with Man with a Mic, and as you say, also looking forward to it finishing. Because fingers crossed, it means that we're back to some kind of normality. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Hi, everyone. Remember to follow our Twitter page at Press Room Pod for latest updates, guest announcements, and to have your chance to put forward questions to our guests.